Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day and for your mercy. We pray that your word would be an encouragement to us, would strengthen us and um, motivate us and empower us for obedience and faith. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, good morning. So this is our eighth week of studying God's covenants. And you remember that, what is a covenant? Covenant is a bond in blood, sovereignly administered, right? And so sovereignly administered means that it comes down to us from God. God comes to us. We don't come to him and initiate. We don't negotiate. He comes to us and tells us, lays on us the terms. Um, it's a bond, so it's a commitment, and it has promises and uh, both promises of blessing and promises of cursing, right? So there are requirements. And if those aren't met, there's cursing. And there's promises of blessing if we fulfill the covenant. And that's what a covenant is. That's the general idea of what a covenant is. This is how God works. And we've seen this all through the study. He works this way always even back before the foundation of the world, God is working like this in relationship with himself among the Trinity, right? And so we've seen that God binds creation to himself by a covenant. It's what we call the universal covenant. We've also seen he bound Adam to himself by a covenant of works, right? Ever since Adam broke the covenant of works, the rest of history is running on this, on the rails of another covenant, the covenant of grace, all of God's dealing with mankind from Adam on, Adam's fall on, or along the lines or under the terms of the covenant of grace. And remember God's first promise of the covenant of grace comes at the end of God's curse on Satan after Satan had deceived Eve in the garden. Where God says, I will put enmity between you, Satan, the serpent, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. I remember this, so that's the first announcement of, of the covenant of grace. God is going to act. Look at the, this is God acting, right? I will, he shall, all right? This is not us, this is all grace. This is God acting. But this covenant of grace was not plan B. And so when, when Adam broke God's covenant, there was not some scramble or some frenzy on God's part trying to figure out what to do next. How do we fix this? God promised that he would send a redeemer. That promise of grace, remember this is last week, was the outworking in time and history of an eternal purpose, a purpose that went back before the foundation of the world. In fact, all the way back into to God's eternal existence. As long as God has been God, this has been the plan. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit had agreed together, covenanted together from before the foundation of the world. And we call that eternal agreement among the three persons of the Trinity, the covenant of redemption. Now, as we've seen, God's eternal purpose, we looked at last week, to make to make and save a people for himself is worked out in time and history. 
that there's an eternal plan, but it's not a, some kind of an esoteric Gnostic thing that floats up in the sky somewhere. It is worked out in time and history. And God made the world of stuff, right? And he made man out of stuff, and he saves man by means of stuff. He doesn't save man by means of just remaining in the heavens and making declarations. He comes down into the world that he made, the world of stuff, okay? Our salvation depends on this. Time and history. In other words, salvation and redemption are not just spiritual. Not just spiritual. Not just God waving his hands and making spiritual uh, declarations. He comes down and he gets down here with us in stuff. His work is always both spiritual and physical. This has always been true. It is still true now. And so even though God made his plan in eternity, he works out that plan in time and space using physical means. And so the covenant of grace, which is that, that covenant that governs everything from Adam on, God's promise to send a redeemer and a savior to destroy the devil and his works works out in real history. And that history is not just the history of the Bible. This is not just a special little history, almost like myth, okay? He works this out, not just in the history of the Bible, but in the history of the world, the whole world. This is God as at work in the history of the whole world to bring about his purposes in the covenant of grace. And that is shown to us literally every day and every night, every summer and every winter, every spring and every fall, right? Every year, year after year after year. Even though we deserve total and immediate destruction at the hand of the Lord. Total and immediate annihilation, that's what we deserve. But God is working out his purpose in this world, in real history, even in our history. And he will preserve this world until all that work is done and all his purposes are fulfilled. The fact that, we, that the world exists today is a function of the covenant of grace. We don't deserve to exist today, right? And so that's what we're talking about today. We're gonna see it in God's covenant with Noah. All right, so we're talking about God's covenant with Noah. Now, before we look at God's covenant with Noah and some of the details of it, uh, we have to understand the historical context and some of the things that are going on. So let's start reading in Genesis 6. This is where we, we meet Noah. And we're gonna start in chapter 6, verse 1. Now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land. So this is very shortly after creation. This isn't long at all, right? And daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he is also flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, 
and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds to the birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now we have to talk about this because this is the, this is the whole context for, for the covenant with Noah, okay? And things are really bad. You get, when we come down to these moments in history, things are hanging by a thread. With Noah, things are hanging by a thread. With Abraham, we'll see this as we go through. And with, certainly with Noah. Look at what it says in verses one and two. Now it came about when man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Now who are these sons of God? Well, we know who the sons of God are, all right? We know this both from scripture, but we know this because of things we've already studied together. You remember? For example, Job 1.6, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. Uh, these are not men. These are not men. These are, this is something else. All right, another example, and we could do this a lot and we're not going to, but here's Psalm 89. The heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies is comparable to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty is like the Lord? A God greatly feared in the council of the holy ones and awesome above all those who are around him. Remember this? This is the divine council or, or whatever you want to call it. This is Yahweh's council. He surrounds himself and you see this all through scripture. And we've already talked about this at length where he surrounds himself with created beings uh, who are not human. And that's what the sons of God, that's who the sons of God are. That's who they are. That's, that's the, the term that is used to describe these creatures. These sons of God are what we would normally call angels in our way of speaking today. Powerful beings whom the Lord created who normally occupy the spiritual or the unseen realm. Well, what did they do? Well, we've read it. The sons of God saw the daughters of men were beautiful and they took wives for themselves, whoever they chose, and then they bore children. Those women bore children to them. Now I believe that these sons of God or these angels came down to earth, had relations with women, and sired hybrid children. And you all think, well that's crazy. Okay. How many things in scripture sound crazy? How about let there be light? Well, that's crazy. How about Israel crossing the Red Sea? How about floating ax heads? How about never ending pots of oil? Remember? The sun standing still, the walls of Jericho falling down, Elijah being taken up in a chariot of fire, Jesus walking on water. Oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. 
Jesus himself rising from the dead? Are these things normal? All of that sounds crazy, doesn't it? If what? All of that sounds crazy if you have a modern naturalistic worldview, okay? But if you're a Christian, you can't have a modern naturalistic worldview. So don't say this account in Romans 6. In Genesis 6, Romans 6 is crazy too. It is. Don't say this account in Genesis 6 is crazy unless you're willing to dismiss everything else that's crazy, quote unquote, in the Bible, okay? The Bible is filled with this kind of thing. So don't just brush it off and think, well, that's weird. Yeah, the Bible's weird, really weird. We're just used to it, all right? Hopefully we we accept it, the weirdnesses of scripture. Okay, you with me? At least here, so far? Don't just brush it off as weird because everything's weird. Now there are two common objections to what what I believe is the case with this passage and what's going on. Two common, common objections. If we say that these are angels and they come down to women and have relations with the women and the women have children. Okay, well, here's objection one. Well, Jesus said angels do not marry, right? Remember that when Jesus says angels do not marry? They neither marry or are given in marriage? Okay. But of course, that says nothing about their ability to procreate. Raise your hand if you're not married. Okay, does being not married mean you do not have the ability to procreate? No, sadly, no. You know, many unmarried people do have the ability to procreate, and sadly, many of them do. Marriage is not ability to procreate. That's just, that's not the same thing. Look around. Are you with me? So that doesn't work. Number, the second main objection to this is angels are purely immaterial so they can't procreate. And we, we know this on great authority because we understand the nature of angels very well, don't we? Here's the problem with that, that angels are purely immaterial. Here's Genesis 18, this is, these are the angels, including the angel of the Lord who I believe is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, the son of God before he becomes in the flesh, one of these is the angel of the Lord. But there are two other angels with him coming to Abraham, all right? Now the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre where he was, while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. When he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, my Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourself under the tree and I will bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves. After that, you may go on since you have visited your servant. And they said, so do as you have said. He took curds and milk and the calf which he had prepared and placed it before them and he was standing by them under the tree as they ate. You playing a song for us there, Richard? (laughs) Now, what do you notice here? What did it, these are angels. We know this from the rest of the passage. There's no doubt about this. What does Abram do when he meets them? What's the first thing he does? What? Washes their feet. So 
the water, you know, just kind of, just. What, what happened? Did the water just go through the foot? No, there's dirt on their feet and he washes the feet. And then he brings them food to eat and they eat it. And so they take a, you know, the fattened calf and all this remarkable amount of bread that Sarah makes and they put it in their mouth and it just No, they ate it. They ate it. Okay? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When Jesus in the resurrection to prove that he wasn't just a ghost, he asked for food and he ate it. These angels ate the food and he could touch them. There, now don't, you see this all through the scriptures. When angels show up, they're not ghosts. They, remember the one that kicked Peter on the side when he was in jail? But yeah. not uh-huh. That's true. Well, the Lord has come to Abraham before. And whenever we see this, we should understand, I believe this is the Lord Jesus. Before he had his body, but he is in a physical form, not a human body. Okay, we can't get any deeper into this, but the fact is, these spiritual beings take on physical form. That's just plain through scripture. You can't get around that. And so we can't say what angels can and cannot do. We'll let the Bible tell us what angels can and cannot do. You understand? And what Genesis 6 says, well, here's New Testament confirmation for this, by this interpretation. And angels, who, this is Jude, and angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they... In the same way as these, so you've got they and these, and one of these refers to the angels and the other refers to those, the men of Sodom and Gomorrah. They, in the same way as these, indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. The, Jude makes a connection between what the angels did and what the men of Sodom did. Gross immorality going after strange flesh. They left their proper abode. They abandoned their proper, did not keep their own domain, abandoned their proper abode. Okay. So you can also see 2 Peter 2. And so think about this. God built divisions into his creation from the beginning. Light and dark, heaven and earth, sea and dry land, earthly creatures that are according to their kind, man and woman. And he also created another division, visible and invisible, Right? And God makes it very plain throughout his word that we are not supposed to cross these boundaries. And so mankind is not to have sexual relations with animals. That is, that is an abomination, right? Crossing lines that should not be crossed. Men are not to lie with men as if they were women. That's messing up the boundaries. Women are not to wear the gear of a warrior. That's messing up the boundaries. We are not to communicate with the dead. The dead are really there, but we're not to communicate them. That's messing with the boundaries, right? Crossing lines. God commands us to honor the lines. God commands us to honor the distinctions that he has built into this world. And many of the most abominable sins 
in scripture and the ones that are forbidden are this kind of thing. Mixing things that may not be mixed. It's an intentional subversion and distortion and ultimately destruction of the way things are. This is what is going on. The angels and women in Genesis 6, what they're doing is very bad. Very bad. It is a direct attack on the creator of the way things are. Just like homosexuality is, just like bestiality is, just like necromancy is. Okay, it's a, it's a blurring of lines that should not be blurred. All right, now watch what happens. This wickedness spreads and spreads. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart and he says, I'll blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky for I'm sorry that I've made them but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. We'll come back to him. Then it says, these are the records. Now that's, I missed a slide. These are the records, let me just read it to you, of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Everything is bad. What had, what had the Lord promised? What was the promise, the first promise of the covenant of grace? The seed of the woman would come and crush the head of the serpent. Well, what happens if the seed of the woman is nothing but corrupt? Morally, right? It's easy to see the moral corruption if you will buy my interpretation, it's also not just moral, it's physical. Okay? It's corrupt. Everything is corrupt. <clears throat> and God says, you know, I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't have created. Now that's him speaking as a man. Then we have the factual historical account of the flood. All right. If, if everything continues the way it's going, there will be no seed of the woman who can come and crush the serpent's head. And so then we have the historical account of the flood, which we're not going to look at today because we don't have time. And after the flood, God makes a covenant with Noah. Right? So Noah went out and his sons and his wife's son, his wife and his son's wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out by their families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings to the, on the altar. And the Lord smelled the soothing aroma, and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. And I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done." Look, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. 
If I do it now, I'll have to do it again and again and again and again and again because this is what man is. That's what he's saying. And then he breaks out into poetry here. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. This is preservation of the order. Now he goes on. In Genesis 9, he goes on. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand they are given. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give all to you as I gave the green plant. Only you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is its blood. Surely I will require your lifeblood. From every beast I will, will require it. And from every man, from every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds, man, sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. As for you, be fruitful and multiply, populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. And he goes on. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with them, saying, Now behold, I myself do establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that's with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you. Of all that comes out of the ark, even every beast of the earth, I establish my covenant with you. And all flesh shall never again be cut off by the water of the flood. Neither shall there be again, there again be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I am making between me and you and every living creature that's with you. For all successive generations, I set my bow in the cloud and it shall be for a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. It shall come about when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow will be seen in the cloud and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And never again shall the water become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the cloud, then I will look upon it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. That's the establishment of this covenant with Noah. But it's not just a covenant with Noah. Who else is it with? The animals. All the animals and all mankind and really, the created order. And we'll, we'll look at this in a second. Let me just give you some lessons from this. Now that doesn't belong there. There we go. Had a busy week, sorry. So God's covenant with Noah is an administration of the covenant of grace. That's the first thing I want us to see about this. This is not a separate kind of covenant. This is because of the covenant of grace. This is an administration. This is God working under the covenant of grace, coming down and doing something in time and history that will allow the ultimate purposes of the covenant of grace to happen. That woman to bear a seed who will crush the head of the serpent, right? It's a covenant of grace. And we see it specifically with Noah. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That is the, that is the word for grace. Noah didn't earn he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is a gracious covenant. And these are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Okay, 
So it's not a covenant of grace. <laughs> no. All right, this isn't God um, looking at Noah and saying, oh, there's one man who's not affected by the fall. He's perfect. And I'll choose him because he's so righteous. No, that's not how it works, right? God gives faith, he gives righteousness, he gives obedience, he gives fellowship with himself. This is all a gift of grace, we know this. So don't get hung up on, oh, Noah must have been, Noah must have been earned, must have earned God's favor because of his works. No, um, that's not how it works, ever. It's a covenant of grace. Secondly, the covenant of grace and therefore God's covenant with Noah includes families. Right? Did you see this? This is actually all through this story. Starting, I mean, it's all through everywhere. But you go, even go back to, to Adam. Then you go to Noah. You go to the sin before Noah. You go to the situation that we've looked at. It's all about children. And here it is as well, all through the story of Noah. Genesis 7:1. then the Lord said to Noah, enter the ark, you and all your household, for you, and you know how languages, other than English, have, you can really tell when you're talking about one person or, or plural, singulars or plurals, right? Spanish has that, German has that. English sort of has it if you're in the South, right? For you. Singular. So who is he talking to? He's talking to Noah. You see this? Everyone see this? Enter the ark, you and all your household. For you, Noah, I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. What's the significance of that? Noah. God is talking to Noah about Noah. And yet who goes into the ark? The household, all right? You see this later, you actually see it all through the account, but here's another example. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, now behold, I myself to establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And we'll see that theme coming up over and over and over again. But it's right here at the beginning, there you have it. Third, God's redemption includes the physical world. Any questions? I know we're, we're always rushed on time, but if you do have a question or a comment, don't hesitate, all right? Yes? The sons, mm -hmm. it, it doesn't really mean just the male children, does it? Is it, is it a different word? No. He didn't have any daughters. He was like me. We don't ever read as Noah's daughters, we just don't. He had three sons and that's that, so, okay. We have no reason to think he had daughters. Third, any other comments or questions? All right, third, God's redemption includes the physical world, right? This is a covenant, this is a redemptive covenant. This is uh, God preserving what doesn't deserve to be preserved. Remember when Adam fell, all of creation fell with him. Cursed is the ground because of you. Not just Adam, 
Not just Adam's descendants, but the whole physical creation is under the curse. That means the whole physical creation deserves to be destroyed. And so any withholding of destruction is grace, it's redemption. Ultimately, we see this, you know, the most clear, the clearest place, is, place we see that spoken of in scripture is Romans 8. Remember Romans 8? We've been in it for a while. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. This has always been the plan. Not just man, but the universe, the cosmos. The universe is cursed because of Adam's fall, because he's the head of the realm. Remember this? In Christ, the universe is redeemed. And so you, we, well, we, here's the point. We don't wanna say that the covenant with Noah is not redemptive. It is absolutely redemptive, okay? It's part of the whole plan. It, ultimately, redemption can't come unless this covenant happens. And this covenant will be ultimately fulfilled in the new creation. All right, lastly, nope, next to lastly, number four. God's covenant with Noah prepares the way for the continued outworking of the covenant of grace in history. Like I've said, if you don't have this, it all falls to bits. The whole thing falls apart, the whole plan falls apart if God doesn't come in and intervene and save for himself man, a man, and his wife, and his children, and their wives, his family, his household. If God doesn't do this, then the only thing he will do is destroy everyone. And then the plan is done, right? But not just the man, the creation. So look at this. The created order will continue, as we've seen. While the earth remains, so as long as the earth remains in its current form, we could say, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. So spring and fall, winter and summer, right? Day and night shall not cease. This is a covenant of preservation. The created order will continue. And man is to multiply. Genesis 9.1, God blessed Noah and, said, and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And 9.7, as for you, be fruitful and multiply, populate the earth, how? Abundantly, and multiply in it. So the, the created order is to continue, mankind is to continue, and to multiply greatly on the earth, abundantly, right? Man is to eat. This is part of this covenant, right? Genesis 9.3, every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you, I give all to you as I gave the green plant. You remember how at the beginning of the, when, when God 
tells uh, Noah to gather the animals and put them in the ark? What kinds of animals? There's clean and unclean. Remember this? Now he says you can eat everything. So this is before the covenant with Israel through Moses. The only one stipulation is don't eat the blood. All right, now there's all kinds of fascinating implications that we can't get into. But he built into this is, okay, I'm gonna keep the world going. You are to continue the line of the human race by multiplying greatly. And here, I'm giving you food, just like he gave to Adam, all right? And man is to defend and preserve the life of man. This is where we see the institution of the death penalty. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. Remember what it said about the nature, the the condition of the world before the flood? What was one of the descriptors? Violence. Violence. And so God says, we're gonna wipe the slate clean, start over, but here's a, here's a commandment I'm explicitly giving you. If any man sheds the blood of man by man, shall that man's blood be shed. That's a tongue twister. He also says, if any animal kills a man, that man, that animal shall die. He says it here. I'll require the blood of man from any animal. So he's preserving life. Do you see that? He's preserving life. There can be no fulfillment of the covenant of grace without the covenant of preservation. That's the point. Now here's one last point. God's covenant with Noah is a bond in blood. Do you remember, that is the definition of a covenant, right? A bond in blood. Now what do we mean by that? Anyone remember? Just generally, what do we mean when we say the covenant, any covenant is a bond in blood? If you break it, you die. Someone's gotta die, right? In the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. We're gonna see this with the covenant with Abraham. We're gonna see it with the covenant with Moses. We're certainly gonna see it in the new covenant. Someone's gotta die, right? Well, who's gotta die here? Well, look at this. Oops, there it is, it's already there. God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I am making between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all successive generations. I set my bow in the cloud and it shall be for a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. Now, what do you think, what do you think of when you think of rainbows? Unicorns, tubby, tubby bears or whatever those things are. You know, we think of Little things, little bows, and little pretty things, and little girls. And of course, now we think of sodomy, ironically enough. But put that aside. We think of nice little pretty things, right? Little bows. We think of bow, like on a, on a, on a package. That's not, that's not what this word means. This is, this is, this is D-Wayne. Right? Thaddeus. Lawrence, this is a battle bow. That's what the word means. It doesn't mean ribbon tied in a nice decorative knot. This is his bow. 
Do you understand? What do you do with bows? Do you win? You kill things. Where is this bow pointing? Every time you see a rainbow, where is it pointing? It is not pointing down. It is pointing up. Who's it pointing at? It's pointing at God. This is a, this is a self-malediction. We'll see this in the covenant with Abraham as well. When God himself passes between the pieces of, of slaughtered animals, right? We'll get to that next week. This is, I believe, one of the things that this means. It means more than this. But part of it is a self-malediction. God is pointing the bow at himself. I know that sounds weird, but you'll see it very plainly next week. This is what God does. May it be to me, if I do this, if I break this covenant, okay, may blood, now this, I know, but this is what, this is the imagery. May I be shot with my own bow. You see this? I set my bow in the cloud. It shall be for a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall come about when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow will be seen in the cloud and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. Never again shall the water become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the cloud, then I will look upon it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that's on the earth. This is the blood. This is the bond in blood. This is amazing. This is really amazing. And here we are. Don't ever take for granted, don't ever take for granted any day, any season, any year, any flower, any, anything, right? This is all a gift of God's grace to us. The whole existence of all the world deserves to be wiped out thousands of years ago. And here we are. Well, we have to be done, okay? We'll see where this goes next week with Abraham as the, uh, the funnel keeps getting tighter and tighter and tighter down to the one seed. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your preservation of us. We do not deserve it. Your, your creation does not deserve it. We deserve nothing but your just and righteous anger and destruction because the wages of sin is death. And yet here we are, and you give your reign to the just and the unjust, and you are kind to us, even kind to your enemies. And we thank you. And we pray that our hearts will be filled with gratitude and wonder at these things, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.